Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. We will also look in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, and Genesis chapter 7. God created water. Water was actually first mentioned in Genesis 1-2. Right there, the second verse in the Bible, it says, The Spirit of the Lord was hovering above the watery depths. Water existed before the sky existed. Water existed before uh, oxygen, people, animals, obviously. Uh, water, in many ways, brings death. If we as humans, this is very simple, do not have air, oxygen. If you're underwater, you're submerged, you will perish, you will die. And we are going to see here in the Bible that God uses water to illustrate us being saved. We are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. A picture of baptism. This is the second part of a sermon series called My Place. You have a place in God's family. You have a place in God's church. And baptism is part of that. You identify publicly that you have been buried with Christ under the water. That means you're dead. When you go underwater, you die. Your old self, you cannot breathe, you cannot live underwater. You're, you're literally putting, putting to death your old way of life. This is a picture of salvation. And God uses water to illustrate death. And then Christ, when we are saved, He brings us up out of the water, and that is new life in Christ. So when you follow in baptism, you're making a... Now, baptism does not save. The Bible never tells us baptism saves. But baptism is that symbolic picture of your old self going under the water and your new self coming up. We're going to see here in the Bible, in uh, many ways, some scripture that we probably don't read very much, how God uses the illustration of Noah to communicate to us the need for baptism and the need especially for salvation. Noah lived during a wicked time. Eight people were saved on that boat that's in Williamstown, Kentucky right now. Only eight people made it. And you can go there and tour that boat and see exactly all the dimensions. I'm sure many of you have. We have. And it reminds us of how God judged the world and destroyed the world but saved eight people. So we will be later on looking at that. But go, first we're going to read here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. God's Word says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. That's Jesus' purpose there. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. 
So Christ preached to the spirits in prison. This is a tricky verse to interpret, so we're going to come back and look at this verse here. He goes on to say, Who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. And a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, so here's where baptism comes in. Follow along your Bibles. Which corresponds to, so baptism, so Peter's saying, the example, let me explain what's happening. Noah lived during a wicked time, and we're going to in a minute flip back in Genesis 6 and 7 and read this. Noah lived during a wicked day. Immorality was rampant. And God gave the people 120 years to repent. Could you imagine being a preacher? 120 years calling on people to respond and to turn to the Lord, and no one responds. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He didn't have a great response. He had zero response, pitiful response. His evaluation scored very low among the people that day. But what God was doing is he was allowing an opportunity for any of those people that lived on earth during that time of Noah to repent and turn to the Lord. But none of them did. And then God destroyed, by using water, destroyed everyone but eight people. So then in verse in verse 21, Peter picks up on this and says, that's what baptism is like. Baptism is saying, I have responded to God. I wasn't like the disobedient people in Noah's time. I responded to Noah's preaching of righteousness. And that preaching in the New Testament was pointing people to Christ. And it says here in verse 21, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. So the pledge, that's that commitment you made to the Lord. The trusting in Christ as your Savior, that is the pledge you made to God. And you've just made it publicly possible, displayed it publicly through baptism, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Flip back here in verse 18. Before we turn over to Genesis and try to discover our answer to a couple of these questions here, verse 18 tells us that we are made alive in the Spirit. Christ's resurrection saves us. Jesus Christ was buried three days later, Sunday morning. This is what we celebrate and observe on Easter. Christ arose. And then it says, so Christ is alive, alive by the Spirit. It says, look at this. In which, so Christ is now alive, in which he also made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. What is Peter talking about? A proclamation to the spirits in prison. 
There's two ways you can interpret this Bible verse. And I'll tell you which way I do. First of all, these spirits in prison is a reference, and we're going to turn in a minute, to evil spirits, fallen angels, that were these angels in Genesis chapter 6, don't turn there yet, that had sexual relations with humans. And it was immoral. And that could be where we get what we call the Nephilim in Scripture. God's, these evil angels came and had relations, and God judged them. That was one of the, and those Nephilim are called giants in the Scriptures. I already hear the choir, they're already turning their Bibles, they're anxious to read that Scripture. And what, what we see also, the, the problem with that interpretation is Jesus told us that angels do not have sexual relations. They do not get married. So that would be a challenge to understanding that this scripture here, these spirits in prison, I understand this is, pre, this is pre-flood events, what Jesus is referencing to. These people that were so wicked during Noah's time, God wanted to show to them, says, my son... These people here have received them as their Savior, and He conquered death, which you all could not do. Even your Nephilim people that were known as men of renown, famous men that made a name for themselves, still were no match for God and no match for Jesus. Now, the other interpretation of this is what I would lean to towards this preaching to the spirits in prison is those that have read the fallen angels, these evil angels, that's what a demon is. We, we see, and we're going to see in a little bit in Genesis 6. The, those that have rebelled against the Lord by Jesus Christ dying and resurrecting, his resurrection preaches to them that God has provided a way for folks to be saved and experience victory through Christ. Now, angels do not have, even fallen angels, demons, do not have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. They don't. They are, they are eternal beings. They do not die. God created them. They're heavenly creatures. They existed here in the pre-flood. We're going to see. We're with Noah. And Christ preached victory to them. Not only did Jesus Christ, his resurrection and what he did on the cross, provide victory for all of us and conquer sin for us, even for the pre-flood people. Remember, Christ is eternal. We think of the here and now. But when Jesus was resurrected, that resurrection just wasn't for that time period. It was for the entire future. And it also even went back to the past. God defeated death. What started that the devil had a sting, that sting that he put on Adam and Eve, they died in the garden. They were cast out of the garden and they perished. The power of the devil is death. And God is showing, look at my son. He defeated you. 
So even those evil spirits in the past and anything in the future, the resurrection conquered. That's how I would interpret this Bible verse here in verse, verse 19. He, it is a proclamation of what Christ did. If you look at verse 20 here, it says, who were disobedient, these are these evil spirits in the past, they were disobedient, and God is patiently waiting in the days of Noah. God is a patient God. God wants to see humanity saved. God wants to see you turn to Christ. So what are the days of Noah? All right. Now, choir, you turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. I want you to follow along here in your Bibles because this, this sets a course for so much for baptism. Because we see that baptism is a picture of new life. The ark is a picture of... I've been saved. Eight people were on the ark. No one else repented and turned to the Lord. And the Bible says God patiently waited by the preaching of Noah. You have to remember too, it, by Genesis chapter 6, it had never rained before. The people did not know what rain was. So here we are at Mount Ararat, somewhere in that region. Noah is building a giant boat in the middle of a mountain range with no water nearby. I'm sure the folks were laughing at Noah. Why would old Noah want to build a boat right here in the middle? It's kind of like when you go out west, like you go to South Dakota, Iowa, North Dakota, you're out, uh, um, I'm picking Oklahoma, you're just driving along, there's the largest spoon ever. Pull off to the side of the road and see the largest fork. Or look at the Cadillac graveyard. There's just random things in the middle of nowhere to, as a, basically a tourist trap to get people to come to. And so you can take a picture and put on Instagram of you with the largest spoon in the world right here in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's kind of what it's like here. Noah is building this boat in the middle of a mountain range and it's never rained before and they're not near water. So folks probably mocked him. So look at what led up to this. This is why God judged the world. It's because of wickedness. Do we live in a wicked time today? Is there immorality all around us? Do we live in the days of Noah? Is God giving us 120 years? We do not know when the end times are going to come. We know it's coming. The clock is ticking. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will live forever. Look what it says here. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When mankind began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. That meant the population is starting to grow. Lots of people are, are, are populating the world. The sons of God. Now here we go. Who are the sons of God. If you believe we're talking about sons of God, meaning angels, 
then that would correspond with that first interpretation of that passage there in 1 Peter 3, 19. Meaning the sons of God were angels, and it says, they, came, they saw that the daughters of mankind, that would be humans, so you have angels and humans. Now this is the first interpretation. There's two on this one. I believe in the second one. I'm about to share it with you. Saw that they were beautiful and took any of them as they chose as their wise for themselves. So there you see marriage possibly between sons of God or, or um, yes, sons of God, angels and daughters of mankind. And that could be where we receive what we call these giants called the Nephilim. And Jesus, his death preached to them those, these disobedient spirits in prison. Prison is a reference to hell. That's, these, these people are separated. Hell was created for fallen angels. This was wickedness, what was going on. Now, some of you might believe this. You have angels having sexual relations with women. And then these Nephilim people that ended up being giants were, uh, came out of this. And God says, no, we're not going to have this. This, this isn't going to occur. We're going we're to send the flood. And they all died out. I would interpret this Bible verse. The other interpretation, sons of God, is a, is a reference... Remember, Adam and Eve, they had, they had children. Their first child was Cain. And Cain committed murder. But then we had Seth. And Seth was a righteous son. And what happened was Cain killed Abel. Then Adam and Eve had Seth, and you had basically two different lines here. You had two, two lines of people. You had Cain, and you had Seth. So Seth, the Bible says, his lineage called upon the name of the Lord. They were righteous people. But then what happened here, possibly, righteous people, righteous men, the sons of God, the lineage of Seth, saw that the daughters of mankind, possibly from the lineage of Cain, from wicked, wicked people, they began to marry. This is why it is so important. When you get married, you know that your spouse, the person your child, grandchild is marrying, they are a believer, they love the Lord, they live for the Lord, they give to the Lord. They are a righteous, godly family. And you have a picture here of unrighteousness marrying righteousness. And, and all that did is create children that were immoral and unrighteous. And basically the folks are doing whatever they're wanting to do. There's rebellion against the Lord here. So keep going here in your Bible. And the Lord said, this is what God, he's looking down, he says, okay, these, these people aren't obedient. You've got immorality everywhere. My spirit 
will not remain with mankind forever. Like, I'm not going to tolerate this. There's, there, there, comes an, there comes an end with God in wickedness. Eventually, you're called. Eventually, the money runs out. Eventually, you're exposed as being a fraud. And God exposes wickedness. And he's doing it right here. My spirit will not remain with these folks forever. Because why? They're corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. You're on the clock now. 120 years, you're all going to die. It's coming. Will not allow it. Now look at this. Verse 4. Where did these people come from? This is interesting. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterwards. These people came out of nowhere. The Nephilim. Who are these folks? When the sons of God, those are those folks we saw there in verse, verse 2. When the sons of God came to the daughters of man who bore children to them. So you had the Nephilim were on earth at the same time that this, this immoral relationships were going on between the sons of God and the daughters of man. They were the powerful, referring to this is the last verse of verse 4, last section. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men, or the renowned. They were renowned. They made a name for themselves. Now, that is all the Bible tells us about that. That is all we know. And I believe God purposely doesn't want us to know anymore. There's a reason God limited this information. This, because our lives should not be sitting around studying pre-flood people. The point is, they were immoral, except for the eight people on the ark with Noah and his family. These people were disobedient, and they were in rebellion towards God. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.19 that Jesus Christ, he went and preached to them his resurrection and says, Look, even you pre-flood disobedient people, my resurrection defeated sin. He's preaching even victory to them. And these were men. The Nephilim could be translated as giants. Some of your, maybe your KJV Bible says that. They were huge people. There are no longer any Nephilim left. They've, They've all died in the flood. Okay, keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 5. When the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. All the time they were evil. I mean, they just literally sat around thinking of evil things to do. Their mind was garbage. This is why it is so important that we guard our minds. We give our minds, our thinkings to Christ. Because what you think, what you dwell on, what you ponder, what you watch, that greatly influences your actions and what you do. And people who are watching garbage and participating and uh, maybe listening to music they shouldn't listen to and putting things, conversations in their mind, it will greatly influence what type of person they are. And God is looking at his people that he made, and all he sees is their minds are polluted. 
Romans chapter 1 picks up there. We're not going to turn there. We looked at that a few weeks ago, back in April. Romans 1 tells us that where sin leads, ultimately, is a depraved and immoral mind. Where what you think is right is actually being taught or is, is wrong. And what you think is wrong is being taught as what's right. The, the people are warped their thinking. No one even knows their right hand from their left hand. That's why when Jonah went and preached to Nineveh, the, God says, I've got this city with 120,000 people and nobody knows their right hand from their left hand. What God was saying, he wasn't literally saying they don't know their right from their left. He's saying they don't know right from wrong. No one knows what's right. No one knows the right versus wrong. Guys, we are living in that day where what is wrong is being promoted as right and what is right is being told is wrong. That is pre-flood. That is Nineveh. That is 2021. That's what God's saying here. It's just rampant immorality. Nobody even knows the truth anymore. When you listen to the news, do you even believe it? When you're watching stuff and hearing the TV and the radio, there's all you're always have to think, is, is this true? Well, in Bible times, it says here, verse 6. And this is a sad Bible verse. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Do you know what? A lot of times what grieves us is actually death. Someone we know passes away. And it should. We, we grieve. And in many ways, this past year, even this future year, is going to be a, a, a year of grieving. There's a lot of loss. Things are different. People have gone to be with the Lord. Things have changed. In many ways, our nation has changed. Cities changed. But you know what God grieved over? We might grieve over what's we, what we once knew. God grieved over His people being in rebellion against Him. Sin grieves God. You want to have a right relationship with the Lord. Death is inevitable. I once heard of an undertaker. He would go and um, write little notes to the families that were... um, and, you know, this had to be out in the country. Nobody would do this today, but he would write little notes because a family just had a, a death in their family. He would write on there, I'll, I'll see you soon. So then such and such, his name. Because he knew there's a one out of one chance that you're going to be in that funeral home. And what God is speaking to us is that we know we're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back. And that could happen. But we want to make sure that our life doesn't fulfill verse 6. God is deeply grieved. He's reg- he has a regret because of sin. goes on to say, Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth, together with all the animals, the creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky. For I regret 
that I made them. He's sad. He regrets. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. So one man, his family. Verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. We always see Noah described as a righteous man. Righteous man means he was obedient. He followed the Lord. He was blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. What a great statement. Men, wouldn't you want to be known as that? Brother Hurd walks with God. Marguerite walks with God. That's an adjective describing him. He walks with the Lord. He walks with God. And Noah fathered uh, three sons. All of humanity comes from these three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Most of us probably as Caucasians. If you're Caucasian, you'd probably be from Japheth. Uh, uh, Ham, that would be folks in um, uh, the African region, most likely. Shem would be Middle Eastern. Uh, Shem was, he came from Jesus. Uh, uh, Middle, Middle Eastern folks there. So Jesus came from Shem. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with wickedness. There it is. The corruption everywhere. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Even the animals, even the dog wouldn't obey. I mean, nothing, nothing was going well for God at this point. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tie all this in with baptism. Because when you're baptized, when you follow Christ and know baptism, you're putting away that old way of life. You're pr- putting away that pre-flood. You're realizing God uses water. Not only does it bring life, because our body's m- most 70% water, but it also, it also takes life. The flood took everyone's life, but Noah's family. Then God said to Noah, I have decided, verse 13, to put an end to every creature on the earth because it was filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them with all the earth. God saved Noah. Noah's family, Noah had a wife who had no name, He had three sons and they had wives. Eight people were on the ark. All of humanity dies except these eight people. God is going to send a flood. It happened 6,000, 5,000 years ago, and it wiped out all of humanity. At one point, Lexington was underwater. Water was everywhere. Even the animals died. Flip over in your Bibles to the book of chapter 7, Genesis chapter 7. We're only going to look at a couple verses here in conclusion. Wrapping this up about the flood. Tying in with baptism. Seeing here how God is saving his people. Chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and covered the ark. There it is. The flood came. He was an older man. He He built that ark in 120 years. And what happened here is God told him, you're going to enter the ark, you can read, you don't have to read, but he talks about all the different creatures that go into the ark. And then the flood came. And not only did it rain, not only did water fall from from the heavens, the Bible says it gushed up from the earth. So there was literally water everywhere. This is why on Mount Everest, you can actually find 
fossil remains from a fish. You go, how can a fish be on Mount Everest? Because of the flood. They were there. Look here, verse 23, last two verses. 7.23 in your Bibles. He, God, wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth, from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the air, and they were wiped out on the earth. Only Noah was left. And those who were with him on the ark, the water surged for a hundred and fifty days. Hundred and fifty days, these waters covered the earth. And everything died, except for the fish. They made it. But probably a lot of them died if they got stuck on a mountain when the water started receding. The Bible says, Noah was a righteous man. When we think about baptism, you think about what we see when it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Christ preached to the disobedient spirits in prison. God destroyed the earth through the flood. Now baptism, the Bible says, corresponds to this. Because baptism is your old life dying. And I'm asking you this morning, have you buried your old life and left it in the pre-flood? Have you accepted Christ? Have you jumped on the ark? Have you responded to Noah's preaching? A hundred and twenty years. Noah did not receive a convert. God does not judge us on other people's response. He judges us on our response to the Lord. We are to be faithful to Him. Noah is described as a man who walked with God. Can God say the same about you? Are there people in your family that are not walking with the Lord? Do you have disobedience that's causing grief to God? And God is looking at us and saying, you need to put it away and kill this. Just like the pre-flood people all were wiped out. The Nephilim, whatever happened with the angels and the daughters of man, the sons of God, all of that was gone. Only Noah lived in his family. Baptism saves you. How does it save you? It saves you because it's a picture of what Christ has done in your life. Your old self has gone down and your new self has come up. You've identified with the response saying, God, I have responded to you. I want you to know, if you have never received baptism, do you know what that's, I want to illustrate what this is like. I'll say this in closing. It's like Noah's here preaching that you need to respond to God. The rain's coming. You need to jump on the boat. You need to repent. And you say, well, I don't, I don't need to do that. Listen, Jesus, if Jesus was baptized, you need to be baptized. 
He set an example for us. He said he had to get baptized in, in Matthew chapter 3 to fulfill all righteousness. It's the right thing to do. Noah was known as a man of righteousness. The boat saved him. You're telling God, I don't need to get baptized. I'm fine. I accepted Christ as my Savior. But the Bible's telling us that our baptism identifies that, yes, I'm saved. It's like I'm jumping on the boat with Noah. I'm not going to reject the Lord. Some of you here, God is speaking to you. Maybe God is convicting you. The Lord is working in your life. And the clock is ticking. And for whatever reason, you are not responding to God. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. I'm talking about a response maybe to get saved. Some of you need to surrender to Christ and come take my hand. Brother Hurt's hand and say, I want to pray and receive Christ. You know, we're about to, we're about to have VBS leadership training here, choir. A few minutes. Look at the clock. 15 minutes it starts. Many of you maybe were saved at Bible school. Your Baptist church invested in you as a child and you responded. That's why we do it. You need to get saved this morning. You need to follow in believer's baptism and proudly, publicly say, Lord, here I am. What is a church made up? What is your place at Broadway? Broadway is a, a church of saved believers, those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And they also have been obediently followed in believer's baptism. Nowhere in the Bible, except the thief on the cross, and the only reason he wasn't baptized is because he was nailed to a cross. He was next to Jesus. He's the only New Testament person who did not receive believer's baptism. And God, who's hanging next to him on the cross, said, Today, you, sir, will be with me in paradise. He didn't get a chance. Maybe some of you need to respond to God. We don't want to be like these pre-flood people that had 120 years and rejected the Lord by rejecting Noah's preaching. Say, Daniel, Noah's not here. Jesus isn't here. God speaks through his word. This pulpit has a preacher. We have a church that boldly proclaims this Bible. We're in a culture that doesn't, doesn't know biblical truth. If you want to know biblical truth, you come to Broadway Baptist Church. You learn about God. But if you don't respond to the Lord... You're basically saying, God, I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I only can go so far. God calls us to respond. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have an invitation to respond to Jesus. We close every single service with an invitation. I stand here, Brother Hurst stands here, you respond and make it public. So let's bow our heads and pray. I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray for the folks here this morning. Lord, we have heard a message here that is so old, yet in many ways so modern to us. We live in the days of Noah. Lord, we hear biblical truth preached and taught to us. It's all around. Sometimes we have to look for it, but it's here. Lord, you want us to respond to you. Noah and his family were saved. You tell us in 1 Peter that just like water 
brings death. Also, water is a symbol of new life coming up out of that water. When the flood waters receded, Noah and his family were saved because of the ark. Lord, we aren't saved by an ark. We are saved because of you. Lord, some of us need to go through the waters of baptism. We need to be obedient and follow you. God, I pray, if there's anybody here that needs to come trust in you as their Savior, Scripture says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. We surrender today. Lord, we're about to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. And we pray for those to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're